reading from the book of Acts, chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said, when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Al Tizon, and I serve as the executive minister of Serve Globally. My job of overseeing the international ministries of our denomination takes me literally all over the world. It's a beautiful thing to go and see what's going on across cultures and around the world through our global personnel and our partners. Besides being a little dizzy from time zone hopping, which is the closest thing, I believe, to time travel that one can experience, I, I travel in awe as I see what God is doing in and through this little but thoroughly global family of faith called the Evangelical Covenant Church. I'm honored today to share a few thoughts with you from Acts chapter 1. A clever response of some these days to the question, how are you or how are you doing, is good, I'm living the dream. Now it's a cut above fine to be sure, but are you? Are you, we, living the dream? And if so, what dream? Whose dream? What are we talking about? Well, my hope is, if and when followers of Jesus say that, we mean the dream, God's dream, the kingdom dream. One memorable place I went to the last few years was Peter Maritzburg, South Africa, as I tagged along with the Covenant World uh, Relief Team. We gathered our community development partners there, amazing people from all over Africa to sharpen and encourage one another in the grueling work of community development. I'm convinced more than ever before since that trip that we in the West have much to learn from our African partners. It was an amazing week of inspiration and learning. But for me, it was also a week of cringing as I remembered my own attempts to do development work in the Philippines, my, my homeland, back in the day. So embarrassing 
really, in light of what I was hearing from our African partners. We did it wrong in so many ways. But there was at least one, one way or one thing that we did right, I think, I believe. We operated under the basic premise that if the people of the community are the ones to determine the what's and the how's of projects or initiatives, then the better chance that those projects and initiatives can succeed. So in our community gatherings, we'd ask a question to start things off that went something like this. Friends, if God were mayor, what would be different? Now this was the Philippines, so God talk was not a problem. It was perfectly natural to include God in common conversation. What wasn't so natural among the poor was getting people to try to imagine a different kind of life. It often took a few meetings to get them to engage the question, but eventually people started to, uh, to play along. And at first, um, the responses would be attempts at being funny, like some man would stand up and say, if God was in charge, I'd be married to Marilyn Monroe or something like that. And then some would say, yeah, yeah, and we'd all be driving BMWs and money would be growing on trees, etc. Prosperity genie God would have had his five minutes. And we'd all laugh, which is a good thing. But after a while, someone would get serious, usually a woman, and say something like, if God were mayor, we'd all have homes made of cement so the floods wouldn't wipe us out every year. And then another would follow and say, our kids wouldn't die of typhoid, typhoid and pneumonia and other treatable diseases. And then the responses would just start to pop like popcorn throughout the room. If God were mayor, our children would go to school in ironed uniforms and learn how to read and write and do math. Our husbands would have jobs and they wouldn't drink so much and they wouldn't have mistresses on the side. Our wives our, and daughters wouldn't have to work at the red light district or work in foreign lands as maids. There would be no more domestic abuse and violence and crime. There'd be clean water that we wouldn't have to walk miles to fetch. God would protect us from the government that harasses us and beats us and forces us to move. We would own this land, grow our own vegetables, put a fish pond in the middle of that field and own cows and pigs. If God were mayor, we would go over to God's house and fellowship there and worship there every day. What we attempted to do in those town hall meetings was to awaken within the people the ability to dream again. And dream our friends did at these meetings. They dreamed of a world where there will be no more mourning and crying and pain, where there will be no more death, just life and peace. Without really knowing it, our friends in those desperately poor communities dreamed about the kingdom of God, wherein Christ dwells, not only dwells, but reigns in righteousness and justice, peace and love. And when the poor in these communities began to dream, we knew that the work of community transformation had begun. I was convinced then, and even more so today, that any enduring transformation in Christ, whether we're talking about personal or community or world, begins with our ability to dream the kingdom dream. Now, as the mission guy, I must have uh, read this morning's, or this, this, this text a hundred times. 
in my Bible reading life. But usually it's verse 8 that I end up spending the most time on. Recently, though, it has been verse 3 that's been glowing for me. Verse 3, after, he, uh, after Jesus is suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them 40 days, and this is where it starts to glow, and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. That's our mission, you know, to bear witness in word and deed to the kingdom of God. It's our mission because it was Jesus' mission. From beginning to end, from his birth to his ascension, Jesus was all about the reign or kingdom of God. One way to understand the mission of Jesus is that essentially he helped people to dream again according to the kingdom of God, to be captivated and motivated by God's beautiful and certain future. I get excited to think about our mission in the world as enabling people to dream the kingdom dream in a world that has forgotten that God is alive and on the move, directing history toward the fulfillment of that dream. Our friends in those communities I served back in the day who started to imagine life with God in the center echoed other dreamers found in the scriptures, such as the prophet Isaiah, who heard God say in chapter 65, starting at verse 17, I'm about to create new heavens and a new earth. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. Another dreamer, in Revelation 7, John caught a glimpse of the same dream, uh, but, but further into the future and saw a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were all poised for worship because one standing in front of them put an end to hunger and thirst, tears, suffering, persecution, and pain. Done. From the Old Testament to the New, it's all about the kingdom dream. And I just want to remind us that the kingdom dream is not just a pipe dream. It's not just wishful thinking. The kingdom of God is not a metaphor. It's real. We catch glimpses of it right now in the present. Whenever someone turns to Christ or a, a healing takes place, or a poor community is empowered, or when we do right by refugees, or when stores like REI and Dick's Sporting Goods decide, decide not to sell AR-15s anymore. These and many other events cause us to say, there, there's the kingdom. They point to the truth, these glimpses, that God's kingdom of peace, justice, and salvation will prevail. Meanwhile, our mission is to reflect this coming kingdom and to extend God's inv invitation for all to enter, even now, into the joy of the kingdom. Our mission is all about bearing witness to the kingdom dream in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's all about the kingdom of God. 
the risen Jesus in verse 3, reviewed with his followers about the kingdom for 40 days. When verse 3 becomes the central verse of this passage, the verses that follow take on a very different character for me. They start to blink and flash like warning lights. So I ask, what could Jesus be warning us about in light of the kingdom of God? Well, one warning is in verses 4 through 5, where Jesus told his disciples to stay put and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. I hear him say it like this. Now, friends, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay? I've been, I've been reviewing the kingdom dream with you for the last 40 days, but not to give you the impression that you can somehow fulfill it yourself. That's blinking, flashing, warning light number one. Don't try to fulfill the kingdom dream on your own. This is ultimately God's dream to fulfill. To remind myself of this, I've been gradually phasing out certain words in my theological vocabulary, words like building or advancing or furthering the kingdom. I've been gradually replacing those words with words like demonstrate or reflect or point others in the direction of the kingdom. Now that might sound hair splitting for some, but anything to remind us that the kingdom dream is God's is a good thing. It's when we try to live the dream on our own, however well-intentioned and impassioned, that we find ourselves spinning our wheels, burning out, wasting time and energy, and hurting ourselves and other people. The church isn't just weak and, and, and ineffective without the Spirit, it can be downright dangerous and destructive. In fact, as I've studied the underside of missions history, and there is an underside, it's called the colonial model of spreading the gospel in the non-Western world. I've become more and more convinced that all the paternalism, condescension, manifest destiny, destruction of indigenous cultures, racism, slavery, etc., were the consequence of doing missions without the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, forgive us and give us the patience to wait on your spirit before trying to live the kingdom dream in any way, shape, or form. Amen. I hope that's our prayer regularly. Church, without the Spirit, the beautiful and powerful Christian faith devolves into rote worship, doctrinaire legalism, irrelevant theology, lifeless catechism, manipulative evangelism, and dangerous mission. So Jesus said, please, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I saw another blinking, flashing warning light in verses 6 through 8. It's all about the kingdom dream for the whole world and nothing less if we take our cue from the ministry of Jesus. Blinking, flashing, warning light number two is this. Don't settle for lesser nationalistic dreams. The kingdom dream is for the whole world. The disciples didn't seem to get this, of course, as disciples then and now. We're slow. In verse 6, they ask, Lord, is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> now, I imagine Jesus at, at this point second-guessing his choice of disciples, saying to himself, they still don't get it, do they? 
After three years of teaching and demonstrating the kingdom in their midst, and more recently, after 40 days of reviewing the kingdom with them, this is the question they ask me? Jesus had been, had been for years speaking and, sh- and, and, and demonstrating the justice and the righteousness and the peace and the forgiveness and love of the kingdom of God for the whole world. But what his closest companions wanted to know from the risen Jesus was, Lord, is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Despite sharing all the glories and mysteries of the kingdom dream, the disciples couldn't break out of their nationalist thinking. They were Israel first. They mistook the kingdom dream for a dream only for Israel. Well, good thing we're more enlightened than those original disciples today. It's no different, actually, is it, sisters and brothers? We can so easily fall for the allure of a lesser dream. But it's not about the Israelite dream. It's not about the American dream. It's not about making America great again, especially if making it great means marginalizing and disadvantaging and harassing others. Folks, Jesus' teaching on the kingdom is not about national greatness. Whatever our view of national greatness may be, the dream of national greatness isn't big enough for followers of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This was Jesus' response to the disciples' small question. After saying that it wasn't for them to know when God was going to do anything, he reminded them of the bigness of the dream. The kingdom dream isn't just for Israel. Yes, it's for Jerusalem but it's also for Judea and Samaria. And it's also for the ends of the world. It's for Palestine too, and Egypt, and Congo, and Thailand, and the Philippines, and Mexico, and Russia, and the United States, and for the rest of the 200 plus nations that make up today's world. That's how big my dream is, my disciples. And furthermore, verse eight, you shall be my witnesses in all of these places of the kingdom dream for all. Oh, to embrace that dream. Let's live that dream, the kingdom dream, and nothing less. And let's awaken others to this dream, and nothing less across cultures and around the world. There's one more warning light that I saw in this passage, and I conclude with this. In verses 9 through 11, it says that Jesus was lifted up to the sky, and as the disciples witnessed this gravity-defying event, they began to gaze. Who wouldn't, right? They gazed, and they gazed, and they kept on gazing until two angels had to come down and jolt them back to reality. These angels asked them, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Concluding, blinking, flashing, warning light number three. Don't gaze up in the sky too long looking for Jesus. Time now to look for him among the refugees, the immigrants, the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, the traumatized, the despairing, the lost. Time now to engage the world around you with the good news of God's kingdom. Time now to do justice and love mercy, to tell any and all about the dream that will one day become a reality in Jesus Christ. Time now to turn from our vertical gaze to the horizontal and pray 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Time to live the dream, brothers and sisters, to bear witness to the coming kingdom in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.